Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. You know, one thing, um, I, I don't remember if I shared it here or not, but about through, oh, four or five weeks ago, I was kind of... Uh, just kind of looking through uh, who had been in service on the Sunday. And as I looked through, I counted 12 different first nationalities uh, and about 10 different languages, not, not including Australian as a part of English. Um, but we had in, in one service across the church, we had people, we had a, a newly saved Muslim woman from Iran uh, we have a Syrian family who escaped uh, the war in Syria. Uh, a woman from El Salvador, her and her husband go to Vernon. Of course, our Colombian uh, uh, friends here, Australian, New Zealand, uh, Pakistani. Uh, uh, they're not brothers, they're just, yeah, they're just kind of connected. Aussie, Kiwi, uh, German, um, Korean uh, uh, as well. Uh, and you know what? I, oh, yeah, and there was American, one American. Um, same line. And Canadians. All that right. So that's Are you American, Jackie? Oh, I thought you were putting your hand up, and I, I was my whole opinion of you changed. And, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. That's, uh, uh, I have some friends who are American. Um, you know, but it's, it's neat to see all of those different uh, first languages, first, uh, 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 you know, where the people are born. Or Germany. Did I say Germany? Germany, too, yeah. Um, and UK. I forgot UK. Uh, so we, there's a whole bunch. But the thing is, heaven's going to be like that. Right? If you, if you go through scripture, right from the very beginning to the end, you'll see that God and the kingdom of God is actually about diversity. Um, that's why we understand God to be a triune God, not two gods, one God, uh, made manifest three persons. But uh, in, in that, right from the very beginning, the very nature of God is this diversity in unity. And uh, so it's, it's really kind of cool when we see that in the church. And, and oh, Filipino. We had Filipino that Sunday, too. There we go. I just, there's all, wow. Uh, and, you know, I just, the reason I say that, the reason I say that is because there is a tendency, even in the church, to separate because we don't speak the same language. Um, but I, I want in our church to do everything we can to have all sorts of different languages in one place. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, Dave and Gina, you guys are great. You're learning, you know, David, you're learning English, and it's awesome. But I, I love when you pray in Spanish. Uh, it, 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 it helps us because it helps us understand heaven better. And I mean that because that anointing is on that. Um, when, when we have a Syrian brother pray in Arabic, uh, it, it helps us. It helps us because we understand what heaven's like because otherwise we become very homogenous and, very, and we begin to think that the way we do it is the only way that it can be done. Uh, and that's not God's way, right? So it's important that we, we kind of keep that perspective. And so that's why it's always good when we have services together, 23rd uh, of July. We're going to all be together in Vernon with Pastor Sam and Jeff, Pastor Sam and Jess Picken. 
You forgot to mention that's so why I'm mentioning it. And, uh, and uh, that's going to be awesome. But we'll all, all, all different nationalities and, and we'll be together in one spot. Go to something in Toronto. It's all that stuff. And, but we want to preserve that. We want to, instead of saying, hey, uh, I, I don't speak English, so let's have our own separate service. Let's do everything we can so we can do that together. You hear what I'm saying? Let's just do it together. And so I uh, see. Okay. Ja. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so we can do that all together. I think it's important. Um, one other thing, just before I get into the message this morning, we are, doing a, we are starting a series on um, uh, things that the Bible doesn't say, which is kind of a weird series when you think about it. Um, it's not in the Bible. We call it Angels Don't Have Wings because uh, everybody thinks angels have wings. It's actually uh, about a fourth or fifth uh, century um, arc, artistic improvisation in the Bible. Uh, angels are never described as having wings. I, I don't know who's preaching on that one. I'm not, so I'm just giving that one up for free. Um, but we, we, are, we are getting in there. But one other thing I just really want you to know is, uh, is that over the last four weeks, I, just again going back, getting to be in all different services, the last four weeks, somebody has received Jesus as their Savior in one of our services in our location every week for the last four weeks. Uh, and that's, that's really, really cool. Uh, and that's really, really cool. So um, God's doing some pretty, pretty exciting things. So we're, gonna, we're doing this series, Angels Don't Have Wings. And, and as we do this series, sometimes you go like, well, what does it matter uh, if it's not in the Bible? What, what does it matter? Uh, actually, a lot of the things that we've picked up uh, as common language that we might say, go, oh, that's, you know, we think it's the Bible. Sometimes it's actually exactly opposite uh, what the Bible intends or what the Bible communicates to us, but we pick it up as a saying, and, and we live out of what we believe. Yes. And if we believe the things we say, we tend to live out of that. Now, so let me give you a real, like to me, this is a really poignant, really, uh, it, it just has a lot of weight on me right now. I, I just keep running into people uh, talking to me about some friend or relative who's uh, having, uh, dying through assisted suicide. Uh, medically assisted, I, I know it's called MAID, but I'm not sure what the, uh, quite the acronym is. But, um, and, and it just seems like every day somebody's talking to me about that. And generally, and this is not my message, this is kind of true, but generally we go, well, you know, I understand because they're really sick and they're, you know, all those kinds of things. And I, and I want us to stop because this is one of those things. Okay, we need to stop and roll this one back. Let me just be up front. Let's say we got to roll this one back. There's a basic Christian understanding that would, if we believe this truly, we would go, no, that's not the right way to go about it. Because here's, here's something that we believe. We believe, you probably, when I tell you it, you'll say, yeah, we believe that humanity was created in the image of God. Anybody agree with that? Created by God in the image of God. What God creates, God has sovereignty over. The only way we can say it's okay for me to take my life is if we don't think God has sovereignty over us. And the same, it's exactly the same fundamental flaw in thinking that allows us to say it's okay to abort a baby because we don't believe that's in the image of God. That's just a piece of tissue becomes the exact same fundamental belief that says it's okay to have the doctor give me a shot to kill me, which is what's the difference between that and capital punishment by lethal injection? There's no difference. 
Logically, there's no difference. What then makes that different from, you know what, this person is just not having a quality of life. Whose decision is that? I don't have a good quality of life. I've been depressed for um, four years. Therefore, see, there's a whole slippery slope. Are you getting what I'm saying? There's this whole slippery slope that comes down to this very thing. I am created in the image of God. God created me in the image of God. And if we don't fundamentally go, God created humanity in the image of God, we'll say all these things are okay. And then we'll say like they do in Holland right now, uh, well, you know what? Um, my parents are old. They're not having a healthy life. So I'm signing a form that says you can euthanize them. Happens in Holland right now. It's actually about this close to something that happened in the 19. 40s, late 30s, 1940s in a country called Germany. It's called eugenics. It's the very next logical step. Okay, I just want us to be aware because it all starts with saying, not fundamentally understanding that I am created in the image of God and therefore God remains sovereign over my life and God is sovereign over humanity. I don't have the right to take my own life. I do not have the right to take somebody else's life. I can't decide quality of life. And, are you with me? It's just, it's, it's just been coming up a lot and, it's just, and, and I know how the conversation is going. Well, you know what? They're really in sick and they're really pain. Fundamentally, that's saying, I'm not creating the image of God. I'm sovereign over my own life. You're not sovereign over your own life. You're created in the image of God, and God makes you. Can you tell it's got me heated up a little bit? Just, it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's, really, it's really important because we're sliding, we're sliding down. Animals are not creating the image of God. It's, it's bottom, I, fundamentally, that's the fundamental difference, not creating the image of God, right? We're created in the image of God, and that's, see, this, I'm gonna, I, I am going to preach a real message. I promise you, this is not what I intend to go. Uh, but it's, it's, just, it's just so strong in our, in our world right now. It's just so strong in our world, but fundamentally, it's a move away from a basic understanding we value life. The only reason Western, the Western world values human life is because of Christianity. Because Christianity came and said, human life has value because we're created in the image of God. Our value does not come from ourselves. Our value comes from our creator. Right? right? And if we don't understand that, then we slide away from that. Suddenly, there's no, there's no value on human life. And you actually... There, there's so many other implications. We just can't go in today. But I do, uh, you know, I, I do want us to know that the other thing, um, <laughs> I, recently I said to my wife, I want you to buy me a big cross necklace, which I, I wear. All, it's not that big, but it's big enough because I, I'm, I'm tired of walking everywhere else and everybody else wears their religious symbols and nobody knows that I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian by just looking. Uh, we, we spend most of our time in Kelowna and, uh, you know, everywhere I go, there's somebody with a hijab or, a, or a, 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 a turban on that identifies them immediately with their religious background. I say, you know, I'm tired of not being able to be identified. I just look like everybody else. The Bible says we're holy people. I want to look different. So I know it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal to me because uh, I, I don't want somebody to say, hey, well, you, it obviously doesn't matter to you. 
because you're not wearing anything. Side note back. There, there, a few weeks ago, I was in Chicago, and I was, at, uh, I was taking some classes. And uh, my professor is from Portland, Oregon. And we, we were sitting for lunch, uh, one of the breaks, and we were sitting for lunch, and he was kind of joking with me. And uh, he said, uh, you know, you're from Canada, right? You're from Canada. So tell me honestly, what do Canadians think of Americans? I thought it was a bit of a loaded question. <clears throat> and I kind of looked around the room at all the rest of the, all the Americans in the, at the table in Chicago, which is part of America, in case you don't know. And, uh, it, it, and, and I realized I was either being set up or he was honest. And so I said, well, hmm, I can't speak for all of Canadians, but if I were to uh, give you a general impression, uh, we would probably think you guys are kind of arrogant and ignorant of the rest of the world. And he said, yeah, that'd be right. Which began a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a back and forth about me being Canadian and then being American. And so sitting in class a few hours later, sitting in class, and he's, he's joking with me about being Canadian and teasing me. And then all of a sudden, he turns around from the, ta- from the whiteboard, and he looks at me, and he points his finger, and he said, I know who you remind me of. David Letterman. <laughs> I went, yes, I've heard that before. My whole class goes, yes, we've heard it before. And... But the thing is, is we look like somebody. Every one of you looks like somebody. When I, when I, was, uh, when I was a kid in, in, in high school, my dad, uh, my dad was always uh, told he looked like a, a president in the United States, Gerald Ford. You always get it. Yeah, I'm, looks like Gerald Ford. Everybody looks like somebody. That's why we have a term called doppelganger. Uh, we have somebody we look like. And when we, when we think about that, there's actually, as believers, we are supposed to look like somebody. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, I already referred to it, but Genesis chapter 1, verse 7, it says that God said, so God created mankind in his own image. I was thinking I wasn't going to tie this in, but I guess I'm going to. And uh, he, God created us in his image, mankind in his image. We're God's doppelgangers, so to speak. So that's God's purpose for us. My message today, what I want to talk about today, though, is just a little side of that. We'll come back to this one, but just file that one away for a moment. We'll come back to it. We live, how many of you know we live in a world that's oriented towards enjoyment? Anybody know that? We're, we're oriented towards pleasure. We're oriented to whatever makes me feel good. We live in this beautiful resort town that makes its Income off making people feel good and enjoying the, uh, the landscape, enjoying the scenery, enjoying the, 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 the adventures, enjoying the ski hill, enjoying the hiking, enjoying the climbing, enjoying all these things uh, for our pleasure. And we have, in general, we have an um, attitude, an idea, a thought within our world today that, that our purpose in life is to get the most out of it. I want to live my life for the most enjoyment I can. Here's what I want you to know today. Can, I, I, I need to put it to you kindly. Your happiness, your happiness is not God's main concern. See, we think, and if we kind of pick up on what everybody tells us, that we would think that God just wants us to be happy. 
You ever felt like that? God just wants me to be happy. He just wants me to enjoy life. You give me life to enjoy life. God just wants me to be happy. I want everything just to be enjoyable. And so we avoid suffering in our Christian life. We rework our doctrine so suffering is not part of it. But we, we, we avoid it. I'm not saying God doesn't heal. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about supernatural God. But we're just, we, because we, we, we want pleasure. We think that that's what God just wants for us, to be happy. Even organize our closets and organize our houses just for joy. Marie Kondo. You know, if it's, if, if it's not, if it's not, it doesn't give you joy, get rid of it. I mean, it's the same kind of thinking for relationships. If I'm not happy in my marriage... Get rid of it. If, I'm not, if, my, if my parents don't keep make me happy, get rid of it. My friends don't make me happy, let's get rid of them. You know, whatever it is, if it doesn't make me happy, let's get rid of it. Any of you kind of picked up on that kind of idea? It begins, you read the book. <laughs> and and, and, it, and it, gets, it, gets, it gets in us. It gets in us. So in, even in our Christian context... We have tended to pick up that idea that God just wants us to be happy. God just wants us to be fulfilled. God just wants us to enjoy life. And that's not in the Bible. <laughs> you know, God certainly wants to bless us. God certainly wants us to have good things. In Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus said, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts, sorry, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? God certainly wants you to have good gifts. He wants to give you good things. There's no question about that. But does that mean he wants us to be happy? Does that mean that God's main goal for you is to enjoy life, to be happy, and to be full of pleasure? I think not. A.W. Tozer, we won't put this up on the screen, but A.W. Tozer says this. He said, the Lord's people are like little children. They just want to be happy. They, just want, to, they want the Lord to give them a rattle, let them cackle and laugh and be happy. They're going to be happy regardless, but the Lord's Happy little children very seldom get filled with the Holy Spirit because God cannot fill them because they're not ready to die to the things upon which they have put their own values. God wants his children to be joyful, but that's not the cheap happiness of the flesh. It's the joy of a resurrected Christ. See, the devil's always done something in our world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we don't put it up, but Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says that the, the devil came in the form of a serpent to humanity and suggested to them that maybe that's not quite how God said something. And we've been fighting that for all of mankind. God didn't quite say the goal of your life is happiness. Yes, we can be happy along the way, but that's not God's ultimate goal, and God's willing to sacrifice your happiness for a greater good. God's willing to sacrifice your happiness to do something bigger in you than just your happiness. It's part of the reason why I, I, I often struggle when we say, well, I know this is God's will because I feel at peace about it. Actually, a lot of times when I know it's God's will is because it really torments me. 
because I don't want to do it because it's not natural for me. It's not the thing that I really want to do. And so as a result, I, I, I sometimes feel like that's not God's will because I don't feel at peace, but actually it's warring against my own human nature. But the devil likes to make us think that, you know, it's just God's desire for us to be happy. And we start to use that as the standard for how we do life. Is this, does this give me peace? Does this give me happiness? Does this give me joy? But that's not what's in the Bible. So, what? So let's, let's look at what the Bible says about happiness. The Bible, in the New, New International Version, actually shows up, the word itself only shows up six times in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21 says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Happiness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 30, it says, Those who mourn uh, as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Paul's talking to them about an attitude we should have as believers that essentially says happiness is not that important. It's not something we hang on to. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Paul's saying, I'm happy, <laughs> even though you were not. Uh, I'm happy because your unhappiness produced a good result. Right. Right? So he's saying, I, I, but I'm happy for you. It's kind of a bit of a, that, that one doesn't sell on TV. Uh, I mean, that, that one's not, not going to go in any self-help, uh, positive thinking. You know, I'm happy because you went through a lot of pain. I'm happy for your pain that now you look better. You know, you've come out of it good on the other end. So, uh, but that's what Paul says. And then uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13, Paul says, we've been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. There's, there's one common theme when scripture uses the term happiness. First of all, it's never personal happiness. It's not, I'm happy because of me. Happiness doesn't start, in the context uh, of these particular verses, happiness always comes because of what I rejoice in in somebody else. Right. I'm happy for what God's doing in you. I've entered into my master's happiness. I'm happy because even though you went through this really tough thing, you've come out stronger. There's always this outward focusness of happiness. When we think that God is just for my happiness, that's not what we're thinking about. We're thinking God just wants me to feel good, not I want to I be so connected with people that I begin to rejoice with people. When we just want our happiness, what ends up happening is we resent other people's happiness. Right? When we want our happiness, that's, that's, why, that's why the scripture talks about envy and says we're not to envy anyone. Because why? Because we're shifting the focus of happiness onto us. The focus or the locus of, of happiness is intended to be on other people. I'm happy because I see you. I'm happy because, wow, you're growing stronger in Christ. I'm happy because God's blessed you. Anytime we start feeling envious, we know we've put the, the, the center of happiness in the wrong place. 
That's why the Bible can talk so often about I'm celebrating for what God's doing in you. I'm celebrating somebody else. I, I rejoice when you rejoice. I, I, I get really excited when stuff happens to you. But the reality is in a world that we live in, which tends to be fairly materialistic and us-oriented, that would be a kind of a checkpoint that as believers we could always use as a checkpoint. Am I happy for that person or am I jealous? Right? Because as soon as we start to feel that sense of jealousy, we're going, I'm, I'm actually more interested in my own happiness than theirs. Right? Do I want what they have? How do we feel when somebody, somebody next door to us comes up, shows up with a new car in the exact model you wanted? Oh, I'm really happy for them. But we're fighting inside? Is that just me? Like you're looking at me like with all that judgy look on your faces, you know, like you, you know, like I really wanted a black Equinox, but, you know, David and Gina got one, you know, it's like, I'm just feeling envy, you know, I just, you know, why didn't I get, no, I'm happy for them. But when we feel that kind of there, that, that's God's check engine light, if you will. That's like, hey. There, there's something going on here. I, I, I bought into the fact that my happiness is more important than being happy for somebody. The Bible only talks about that way. That, that's why envy gets us into so much trouble. Can, can I take it just a little step farther? We were singing this great song this morning uh, where we sang, holy, holy, holy. Most, most of the time, I don't know if we know, we understand what holy means. Holy, we tend to think it's like this, uh, you know, this sort of special state. Holy actually just means unique and different than anything else. And we sing God's holy because he's the only one. But, but here's what happens when we think our happiness is really, really important. We make ourselves holy. It's called idolatry. We begin to worship what we want over what God wants for us. Because here, let's, 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 just get, let, let's just get down to hear what Jesus wants. If Jesus, God wants for us, not our happiness, that's not his end goal, what is it? Well, this one, this one will bother you if you actually hear what I'm saying. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is what Jesus says he wants for us. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, it's a great plaque, but it's a terrible thing to have to live by. Right? Because we don't, we don't want to deny ourselves because I want that. And, and you see, the reason that flies so much in, in the face of, you know, God just wants you to be happy. No, God wants you to deny that. So that my goal doesn't become happiness, but God's reward to me becomes that. Good. Really good. Right? When we pursue happiness, we, we end up edifying ourselves. When we pursue God, God then can... Bless us. God can reward us. God can give us good gifts, but as long as we're trying to get them ourselves, we're lifting ourselves up, which is idolatry. So take up our cross, deny ourselves, is the exact opposite of all God wants for you is for you to be happy. Actually, all God wants for you, listen for this, all God wants for you is to become his doppelganger. All God wants for you is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. When people look at Ethan, they go, hey, 
Ethan, you know, you look like somebody. You remind me of somebody. That's right. You remind me of Jesus because of how you behave, because of what you do. You're not trying to get all the attention, but, you know, you remind me of Jesus. When you look at Jasmine, you go, you know, I, I, we'd have a conversation, but, you know, you remind me of Jesus. That's the intent of what God does. The problem is, is we don't, we want the lookalike without the process. It's not any accident that before Jesus went to the cross, he says to his disciples, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. And then later he went and did it. He kind of warned them, this is going to cost you a lot. But now let me show you how to do it. What God wants for us is not, the goal is not our happiness. The goal is to look like Jesus. The goal is, is that when people see me, they see Jesus. That when people talk to me, they hear Jesus. That when they talk about me, they talk about Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? The goal is not for me to be happy. And if we make that our goal, we lose out on the image of Jesus. Paul, in the book of Romans, and I, and, and I realize my preamble went on longer than a message should have, so I'm bringing it back, and it's, we're, we're closing it up. But hopefully this is good for you. Paul, Paul in Romans chapter 8 puts it, to me, I think he puts it really clearly, but just so you get it, we're going to read it in five different versions. And, and the reason we do that is because here, here's what I find that we do sometimes. If we don't like it in one version, we find one that we do like. Um, but this one actually says it the same in all. Because it's, it's just that hard to mistranslate this passage. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 to 30, in the New Living Translation, it says, For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son. You were chosen to become like his son. You were chosen to become like Jesus. I mean, I, that just gives me goosebumps thinking about that. You were chosen to become like Jesus so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Having called them, he gave them a right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. There's that happiness. It's the last thing. Romans chapter 8, 29 to 30, New, new International Version. For God, for those God foreknew to be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God predetermined that he wanted you to look like Jesus. Predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed because God wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, 29, verse 30, in the Good News Bible, says, uh, for whom God had already chosen, he also set apart to become like his son. Come on, be like his son. Yes. Be like his son. Somebody looks at you and goes, hey, you know, I know who you remind me of. You're like. Romans 8, 29 to 30. Just in case, you know, for, for King James lovers, we'll go to New King James. Same translation, just newer language. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son. Same thing. Image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Conformed to the image of his son. Are you hearing something? I know I'm reading the same verse over and over again, but it's saying the same thing. It's saying what Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 said. It said, or 1 verse 7, it said that, that he made us in his likeness. God's just trying to get you back into his likeness. He's not try, you're not going to get happy all the way along, but if you get into his likeness, you'll find fulfillment. Let's look at the Amplified Version. I, I love the Amplified Version. It, it, it just adds, it's not that it adds to the Bible, it just, it just draws out the explanation and the translations of the words. I love it. Here's what it says. It says, for those whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand. God knew me beforehand. God was aware of me beforehand. I love it. He also destined from the very beginning, from the beginning, foreordaining them to be molded into the image of his son. Molded into the image of his son and share inwardly his likeness. This is the one thing about the Amplified Version I don't like. I don't like that word molded. I just want to be me. And God wants me to be like him. You see the conflict going on here? <laughs> I, I, you know, we used to have, well, we used to have this car. It was a, it was a Dodge Omni. Russ and Jasmine got it from us after we, we over, outgrew it. And we would go, we lived on Vancouver Island. We lived in a little town called Lake Couch. And we'd drive into Victoria and we'd, we'd go to conference and shopping and stuff and and I'd have to pack, as long, as long with our two kids, uh, maybe three at the time, uh, we'd pack all of everything we bought into the back of the Omni. And uh, sometimes, you know, you only get to the city once in a while. You know, it's like you're in Revelstoke. And uh, you, you buy in bulk. So you, you don't buy a package of 12 toilet paper. You buy a package of 48. Or 120, you know. I mean, I don't know what it comes in. You, you, you buy bigger things. The problem is none of that fits in the car easily. And I remember distinctly many times when I had to open up the 48 package of toilet paper and have to individually mold that shipment and that load to fit the car. And I'd take it, and it would fit in here, and this one would fit over here. And it was a, it was a pain when you unloaded, but loading was even, it was always it was this challenge, this Tetris thing. And uh, you know everything would come out of the packaging. You would get entirely unpackaged, and reordered. I'm trying to tell you something. It's not about our happiness. God wants you to conform you into His image, and what's going to happen if you let Him? Which is why we deny ourselves and lay down our life. He's going to unpackage you and reorganize you so that you are conformed, molded into his image. Because he created you to be in his image. I think it's good news. God's not just about your happiness. Yeah, there's some happiness along the way, but that's not God's main goal. God's main goal is at the end of the road, the end of the day, the end game for God, you're going to walk up and go, you know what? God's going to look at you and say, well done, 
you look like my son. When I hear you talk, I hear my son. When I see you act, I see my son. That's our goal. The Bible does not say God just wants your happiness. The Bible does say God wants you to look like Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.